Welcome to the Ward Zero podcast, covering the civic issues you most want to talk about. You are now entering Ward Zero. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of the Ward Zero podcast. My name is Asmahan Razavi, and I'm joined by Darren Krauss and Jeremy Zhao. In the spirit of reconciliation, we do want to acknowledge that we live, work, and record this podcast on the traditional territories of the Blackfoot Confederacy, which includes the Siksika, the Kainai, and the Pikani peoples, the Sutina, the Stony Nakoda Nations, Métis Nation Region Region 3, and all people who make their homes in the Treaty 7 region of Southern Alberta. So here is what we'll be talking about this episode, five communities approved and potentially more on the way a healthcare shortage, to put it mildly, and how it's tied to our very own city of Calgary. And we've got some hot takes and some quick hits to educate you on what's going on at city council. So we're going to begin with a hot take from Darren. Darren? Well, thank you so much, Esmahan. Actually, I want to go back to the communities debate. And it wasn't actually the debate about the communities that kind of got me raising my eyebrows, but it was a motion arising from Ward 2 Councillor Jennifer Wyness that basically listed 30 communities and a blanket upzoning. Now, the mayor said, well, this is essentially what the guidebook for great communities was supposed to do, which I think is maybe an error in what the mayor wanted to say because the guidebook was not a blanket upzoning. But I guess the hot take for me is, what is Jennifer Wyness trying to accomplish with this? I mean, we're we're looking at a situation where, uh, where a lot of established areas are going through the local area planning process. On the flip side, you've got Jennifer Wyness, who is uh, making a lot of noise about how established areas cost as much as new communities to build out. And so I, I just found it was interesting, given some of her comments around trying to make that point about new communities and established area communities, given the the back and forth on the new community debate that happened in council. I just felt like this motion arising was really out of place and almost, although she denied that it was political in nature the day after, I really felt like it was a finger or a stick in the eye of other councillors. And while I think that there's probably some merit to some blanket rezoning in certain areas of the city, I think we need to let the process take its course and go through some of the local area planning and not try to make a point about new versus established area communities by putting together a, I have no problem saying, a bit of a nonsensical motion arising. That's my hot take. So I was uh, following your your live tweets, Darren. So when this when she brought forward this motion, I'm like very curious, was it taken seriously at council or were like, what was the vibe? Well, you see, that's the funny thing. And I believe I tweeted at the time that this is an opportunity for these councillors to get the guidebook or a version of the guidebook approved through the back door of the back door. Because 
I believe she put it forward in jest to prove a point. But the really good, interesting point that could have been proven here is, yeah, this is actually what we're going for. So thank you very much, War Two Counselor Jennifer Wyness. Go ahead. But with that said, I think it was summed up by Counselor Giancarlo Carraz's comment in council, which is, wait, what? We're actually voting on this? That's pretty much how it was summed up. Okay, so we're going to go on to our next segment, um, Quick Hits. Uh, Darren, I'm, I'm going to turn it back to you. You're going you're gonna to teach us some stuff. Oh, teach away, Darren. Okay, as I mentioned, Giancarlo Carra, Ward 9 Counselor, So you may recall that his Integrity Commission complaint, which was ruled on by the Integrity Commissioner, and he was sanctioned, had ethics training, records management training, uh, and he had to deliver an apology. He did deliver that apology in council that day at the very start of the meeting where they made this decision. And councillors voted, I believe it was a 7-7 tie which means that it was lost, to not move it on to the Calgary police or the province. Sorry, I just got to slap a mosquito. Yes, I am on vacation. So there was that. Uh, Vandalism in the city. Wow. Uh, City Hall. I know that there are some uh, extraordinary circumstances, I guess is, is one way to put it, around the person who broke into city hall with a an edged weapon and lit a bunch of fires i know that the person has been on the radar of calgary police for a while and there are some some other circumstances around that but yeah that's that was an unfortunate circumstance i will tie in another one of the quick hits city hall did reopen to the public as of today the day of this broadcast uh the the recording but still third floor services are in other locations uh at the central library and at the whitehorn multi-services bit building you can go to livewirecalgary.com for details on that but of course the peace bridge the peace bridge has been targeted numerous times and it seems like there's been an increase recently in the number of uh, hits on the Peace Bridge. I think it's going to take several weeks to repair all of the damage on the Peace Bridge. In the meantime, traffic, although I don't know if this has changed, but traffic has been kind of pushed to the center lanes of the Peace Bridge. So when you're on it, just please watch out for traffic, pedestrians, cyclists, everybody's got a right to be there. So uh, just take it easy out there. first segment. So City Hall voted to approve up to eight suburbs, five of which can go ahead right away, three of which are kind of like we shall see. Um, there are up to 13 new communities in the works, that means. Um, the vote was 10 to 5, so it wasn't close. And administration said that the new communities would help with over 80,000 people who are expected to move up uh, to, into Calgary um, over the, the next uh, little bit. I thought Councillor Walcott was quite interesting when he kind of said like, hey, uh, we voted on a climate emergency. This isn't necessarily uh, the kind of action that reflects those concerns. A lot going on. 
what do you guys think? New neighborhoods, new suburban neighborhoods. I think there are going to be quite a few in the Southeast. The city keeps expanding. I just go, what's what's the point of the the long-term strategy to densify when it's, should I put it, business as usual? I don't see anything that was, you know, where... Where, where council, you know, a decade ago said, hey, we're going to try and balance the, the development in both, you know, existing communities and with new communities. All we're really seeing is a continuation of what's been going on probably forever. So I, I just don't, I just don't get the whole like, hey, we're, we're going to vote for this long term strategy, but we're not actually going to follow through with it. I just don't get it. Well, I don't know. I'm kind of sympathetic to Councillor Walcott's concerns with respect to climate. I'm not sure that continuing to build out and out and out is the best way for a city to be going forward. And I think we kind of chatted about this earlier. I think there are other solutions that we can be looking at for new people. I understand. I think, you know, a lot of people are talking about housing affordability and how Calgary is still a place where you can buy a house and raise a family. And that's what makes us appealing. And and I completely understand that. But I think that we can be looking at other solutions to, you know, we, we talked about like the missing middle, I think it's called and what that can look like in terms of a slightly more density, more more than slightly more density and throughout the city. So I'm a little bit nervous that we are continuing to make the same decisions over and over again that are not necessarily in our long-term best interests. It was in the, I'm going to cheap plug it here, the Mayor and Me podcast, which is exclusive to members only for Livewire Calgary. Mayor Gondek said, what's different about this process, though, is that they're really making an effort to make sure that any new communities that they add on don't burden Calgary taxpayers with any additional capital costs, but also that there is a significant net gain in property tax. I mean, I think it's interesting because no matter which way you look at it, any sort of statistician, mathematician, or bean counter can make the numbers look whatever way they want them to in order to support that case. And I think that's something that, that and I actually think that we're going to take a look deeper into it because I want to take a look back at the ones that were approved in 2018. We're in 2022 now. And I know that many of those were were 5, 10, 15, 20-year build-outs for some of the communities that were approved then. But I want to know how close we are to even scratching the surface of those communities becoming even net neutral on the city's operating costs. My guess is not very many of them. And that's my worry here is that We can present the business case and cities being counters, the development industries being counters go, yep, yep, all looks good. When we build this out, we're going to have a net positive uh, gain for the city taxpayers. But when you look at the market right now, and yeah, there's some affordability issues in Calgary. I know that, that people are still in the market to buy homes. There's also a flip side to it. We have interest rates rising. There are a number of markets across Canada where home sales and home starts have plunged. So my question is, why are we adding more potential homes 
that really means a longer build out for many of these communities, which means that we are going to be carrying the water for these communities for a longer time. So sure, when they're fully built out 25 years down the road, maybe there's a net positive payout. But in the meantime, the city of Calgary is paying out every single year the cost to operate these communities. And it's at the expense of all of the other taxpayers in the city. And I, that's the part that I think a lot of people who are worried about suburban growth uh, really, really have an issue with. I know there was an also an article about the the missing middle. You know, there, there's been talk about that. I, and to give a bit of, I don't know, we'll call it national context, the missing middle has also been proposed in, for example, the city of Victoria, where I live in now, proper Victoria. And that has caused huge controversy where it ties into the argument about whether or not it's actually affordable with the missing middle initiative, because all they're doing right now is knocking down a million dollar mansion and putting a duplex or some row houses that will cost, you know, only marginally less than the actual single family uh, home that's, that's built there currently. And on the business case side, if we're talking about business cases, the, the report uh, when they were looking into the mi missing mid middle initiative in Victoria was that developers would have to build a certain way in order to actually make a good uh, return on investment, or else it's actually not worth it to build a, a, a duplex or, or, or a set of row houses along there. I think Calgary's in the special spot kind of like what you two have alluded to is that there's still a lot of land right a lot of surplus land that calgary can reach out to perhaps the perhaps the other thing i think for the business case that the city of calgary is thinking about is maybe if we don't build it you know a lot of people talk about whether or not the towns of let's call it airdrie or strathmore or or chestermere will 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 take up that capacity instead right and make themselves more attractive than calgary I mean, Jeremy, you raise a great point about that affordability aspect. And it's it's something that I've talked to counselors about in the past is, is when we talk about uh, affordability, what, what are we really talking about? Are we talking about affordable housing or are we talking about housing that people can afford? I think we may have even had the conversation here uh, on the podcast before, but you're absolutely right, Jeremy. What is the sense? And I think this is what a lot of I don't want to call them anti-densification because I, I, I believe that many of them understand the need for densification, but this just let's densify, densify, densify really does speak to a certain profit motive for a different kind of developer, you know, an inner city developer. I would gladly mow down a million dollar home and build four homes that I could sell for $750,000, I would gladly do that and be able to have that go through under the guise or the veil of, of densification and, and doing good for the community, but it's doing nothing for affordability. And I think it's a misnomer in a lot of cities that if we densify, we create more affordable homes because I just don't think that's the case. At least it, it hasn't been borne out that way to this point in Calgary. That's why I think like to return to a point that Jeremy made earlier, like 
there needs to be some large scale visioning around some of these things. Part of it is what kind of city do we want to look like in terms of where we're building and how we're building, but also like the the issue of affordability, which is really like one of the top political issues. We're hearing it being talked about federally, provincially, and municipally is I think something that we actually need to like talk about when it comes to housing in a way that you're right, Darren, that that is kind of like, okay, well, it's like kind of like New York, right? Where you you have like these brownstones that are like smaller and denser, but they're like the most expensive um, homes that you can buy, maybe except for like a really, really nice penthouse in Manhattan or something. We don't want to be creating artificial environments where, you know, to like it's to be rich is also to to have like a smaller, cuter place or whatever. I think we want to be thinking about, okay, like we have this like national crisis. People are unable to afford homes. Newer generations are struggling to break into the market. We are, we're also dealing with other things at the same time, like climate and whatever. So how do we approach all these problems together and figure out how to create a city where we're actually like addressing these issues in a meaningful way? And so I think that's like, it's a big challenge, but I, I don't know that we're like, we're stepping back and looking at it with that lens yet. It sounds to me, Asmahan, like you are leading the charge for another Imagine Calgary, Planet Calgary, Municipal Development Plan overhaul, because that's what it is. I mean, we go through these exercises all the time about, you know, because now we have to deal with affordability. Well, when we did Planet Calgary or or Imagine Calgary or whatever, were we thinking about the same things? Were we thinking as as closely about climate? Were we thinking about affordability as a major issue? I know that affordability was a part of it, but were we thinking of it as a predominant issue? And I don't think we are. So I think you're really setting the stage for another one of these massive documents that's going to have 50,000 people contribute. And by the time it's done, it's just going to be outdated like the other plans are. Yeah. And no one's going to implement it. And we're going to be like back at square one in like 10 years. (laughs) Like, no, because I I think you're, you're spot on. Like the problem with a lot of these exercises is that there's like no implementation, which part of it is the fact that we have like four-year election cycles and politicians are like, oh my goodness, like I need to like think about these four-year cycles instead of 50 years ahead, a hundred years ahead. And like, what does my actual legacy look like? And that's, I mean, that's like a, that's a fundamental problem we're having right now, Darren, all across the world with democracy. News flash. <laughs> Breaking news. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of fundamental problems, um, we are experiencing quite a bit of uh, turmoil with healthcare here in uh, in this province, and it's hit. Calgary. So residents of North Calgary may find themselves without access to health care in emergency situations. The urgent care center at the Airdrie Community Health Center is uh, has been forced to make temporary night closures. Uh, there are similar issues happening all across the province. We have a phys- physician shortage with, uh, you know, residencies um, going unfilled, doctors uh, leaving to other provinces. And um, it's, yeah, it's manifesting in a way that is now uh, hurting the residents of North Calgarians, although I know that it is hurting other people in different ways. Um, I know that you talked to Councillor Mian, Darren, and she was quite concerned about what's going on. 
but it's, it's really like, I, I mean, it's something that I think is top of mind for a lot of people. My, my own father is a physician and he has said to me time and time again, you know, if someone has a stroke and they don't get medical attention within five to seven minutes, their chance of survival plummets and their chance of rec- any kind of like meaningful recovery falls quite a bit as well. So, you know, lives are at risk here. What's, what are you guys thinking about what's going on? Well, I just recently got my first aid recertification, so I can, I, I, but I can't do CPR for very long. I'm pretty sure my, my scrawny arms, as you can see here would, would not last very long, but I think this is one of those things I was, so I brought up this specific topic because at least in Calgary, I feel there's enough affordable housing and the standard of living in Calgary is so great that at least the physicians there are still able to kind of live to an extent. Whereas when you compare it against other places in the country, AKA the Vancouver Island situation, that, you know, when when you compare it against Calgary, that's far much worse. I, I sent you to kind of that image I took of a an individual who took an ad out in the Times Colonist because her partner uh, couldn't find anybody to refill their 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 uh, prescription, and they had to go to that desperate route in order to get something accomplished. Obviously, the media jumped on it, and the island health authorities were able to contact them. But I think the situation isn't just localized to to Calgary. All cities across the country are facing this. I think it's something that I wanted to bring up because I go, you know this just kind of demonstrates how helpless sometimes cities are when things like this happen. We're, we're really beholden to the province and, and I guess in Alberta's case, AHS to, to do something or else we're, we're scrambling. And it doesn't, and if I tie it back to the five new communities, there are no ambulances. If you don't have those healthcare centers within, you know, a, a certain time period, how are you going to deliver those essential services at the end of the day? Well, I know that both the medical community and firefighters also are concerned about the new communities and that spread. Uh, But to the healthcare point, I mean, this is a, there's a domino effect happening here. When you close down these urgent care centers, whether it's Airdrie or whether it's the South Calgary Health Center, they have to go elsewhere. And then all of a sudden the emergency room visits are, are clogged. And you may have seen stories about Edmonton where they're doing hallway medicine because they don't have enough ER beds. And I know that that AHS and through them, Alberta Health is saying, look, we've gone through a pandemic. Doctors are stressed. Nurses are stressed. The health system has been put under intense pressure. But I just wonder what happens when the pandemic isn't an excuse anymore. Are we still going to have, I mean, we're still going to be short doctors. We're still going to be short nurses and people don't necessarily get sick or injured any less just because there's not a pandemic. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to the hospital or being rushed to emergency room because of the pandemic anymore. Maybe it's doctor burnout, maybe it's nurse burnout, but I guess I'm left wondering, is the problem greater than the pandemic or is the province or is the AHS just using this as a, as a stopgap uh, that, that people will accept 
that, okay, I understand the, the system has been strained for two and a half years, but then we get to a year from now when a lot of the pandemic stuff has subsided even more. And if we still have the 420 average red alerts, that's no ambulances in the city of Calgary. We have 420 on average per month when we have those with no ambulances or we have urgent care closures. What's going to be the response then? And what I really find is that there's no real plan to get healthcare back on its feet, you know, to, to make sure that there are nurses filling the programs that there are doctors filling the residencies and making sure that we have a robust program into the future. Uh, and that, that should be concerning and not to go tangentially into things, but we have some UCP contenders who are pushing for a more privatized system. And I know that we've, we've debated some of the merits of, of having private healthcare on this podcast before. Um, but the push to go even further privatize, I think that transition puts even more stress on the health system. So I'm not sure that there's any real light at the end of this tunnel in the near term. I just like, I feel like going on a total rant because I mean, I have this frustration with the pandemic being used as an excuse because if we like if it was if it were the case and it was that the pandemic was going to put such a strain on our health healthcare system, then we had two years to think about how to implement measures that would have like mitigated that so that our healthcare system wouldn't have suffered as much, right? So it's like this is like a self-fulfilling prophecy of like actions that our government took over the last two years. And this is the fallout. And frankly, doctors are burned out. Yeah, they've been burned out since like, I don't know how long in, into the pandemic. And they're expressing that like they've been burned out. And then that's been like an ongoing thing that they've been saying, which is why they were asking for different measures, but not to turn this into a COVID thing, because whatever. I do think that COVID is being, or the pandemic is being used as, as a bit of an excuse, frankly. And part of the decisions around ambulances goes back to the centralization of all the paramedic stuff that we, I think, talked about on this podcast a little while ago, I, I talked to someone uh, a few weeks ago who waited like over an hour for an ambulance to come from, you know, another community outside of Calgary, which doesn't really make sense if you think about it. It's concerning to me because sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm in a position where I don't think anything is going to happen to me, like unless I like cross a street and, and get um, hit by a truck or something equally terrible, get eaten by a panda or something. People with aging parents, people with like sick children, people who have people who are pregnant or who have, you know, a pregnant partner, these people need healthcare imminently and they're all at risk because of our healthcare situation. So it's like, in some way, all of us, whether it's someone we know or whether uh, whether it's ourselves, like are going to going to be impacted by the disastrous healthcare situation. And I don't know if we're just going to like kind of stand up and be like, hey, like this is like this is the problem that needs to be fixed because lives are actually at stake. And if my you know loved one was in a situation where their health outcomes were substantially worse because they received care like hours after they shouldn't have, like I would be looking at how I could take legal action against the province, frankly. I don't know if that's a if that's a thing you can do in Canada or if that's like a US, you know, too many US movies that I've watched. But like it's 
super concerning. And I think that we're slowly being desensitized so that like, we kind of start thinking like, yeah, we need, we need change. Maybe like, if I can afford it, I'm going to pay for private health. And that's really like going to create a system that I think is just perpetuating so much inequality. Random not, to take, not to take away from anything that you said, but Jeremy, I just want to do a quick sort of um, reader supporter gauge of interest. Would you read a story about Esmahan being eaten by a panda? I I would be intrigued by the 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 title. I was like, oh, pandas are. I wanted to say polar bear. <laughs> I don't know where you want from. Well, I, like, I can guarantee you that there will be no panda eating because number one, they pretty much what they, they just eat bamboo, right? And they're not here anymore. I know but they're polar gone. Bear definitely, definitely could happen. Brown bear. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. And I think for a lot of Albertans and not to tie this into the provincial, the upcoming provincial election, but I think the, the top issue will be healthcare coming into the next uh, Alberta provincial election. The economy is going to be clipping along at, I'm guessing a reasonable pace. There may be a recession depends on how far inflation gets out of control. But I think that aside from perhaps cost of living, I think that healthcare will be one of the top issues. And if this doesn't get rectified, not only does it impact cities, uh, but it could be the end of the UCP as far as I'm concerned. You know, one of the things that I'm worried about and, and I'm reminded every time I go play lawn bowling is the aging demographic, right? Whether or not it's private, whether or not it's public, we have an aging population that's inevitable. The baby boomers are going to only get older they don't get younger and we're not producing as many kids because we're more educated and even with you know mass mass immigration there it's it's not going to do enough to kind of stave that off so i i, I worry about that a lot and then the, the second point i wanted to talk about was you know when when Esmahan mentioned kind of the ability to sue the government for not being able to deliver services i know when i was reading the times call on this they had the um, the ruling against some individual who wanted private healthcare in BC, but that was rejected because the I think I don't know the details, but I know the judges had rejected you know the ability to charge for uh, private healthcare in the province of BC, but that's going to go to the Supreme Court to see if that will hold. So I thought that was something I'd bring up as well as as, as something I was reading um, a couple of weeks ago. And I just want to add, I will give a plus, an A plus at least to, you know, the, the mayor's uh, immediate reaction and I guess the surrounding municipal, municipal officials for raising issues right away, right, when it affects them. It's, it's they, they say uh, all politics is local. And this is an example of that where your local counselor, your local elected official, some people don't like them. Some people think blah, 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 but they are on top of it. It's not like they don't see what's happening. And they're usually the first ones to respond, the first ones to engage and the first ones to bring up topics like this. And, and, and back to my, I guess my theme today is not to take things for granted is that local officials do understand kind of their role in the grand scheme of things, although they don't have that constitutional authority to do some of the things 
they are basically our closest thing to the eyes on the ground, um, eyes in our local neighborhoods to see what's going on and how that may play out and affect, you know, not just their own jurisdiction, but surrounding jurisdictions. And I, I think we need those levels of government to hold, for example, the provincial government to account or else who else is going to do it? But Darren's on vacation. So <laughs> who else is going to do it? Um, but right now, right now. So. I was going to say that the, the problem is, I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying, Jeremy, but the problem is like we have the structure where municipalities are li- like they can't really take the power. Right. And I do I do think that municipalities are you know on the front lines of so many crises that we're facing. They're on the front lines of housing crisis, they're on the front lines of climate crisis, they're on the front lines of the, this healthcare situation that we're seeing in so many ways, but they don't have the tools to address them effectively. And so, you know, they can go and like they can talk to the provincial government, but the the way that our, our system is set up, if we have a provincial government that chooses to ignore them, and in the case of the previous previous council, you know, referred to the mayor as like Trudeau's mayor, then you're not really able to have a kind of relationship where you can actually do what's right for, you know, people who live in municipalities. And I think, you know, I've been paying, again, like just sort of um, looping back to the healthcare thing, like uh, on a more provincial scale. I mean, there are a lot of small town mayors who are like, this is unprecedented. This is terrible. But they also like, it's a part-time job for a lot of them. And what can they do, right? They don't really have the power. And and that's a real problem. They're told to stay in their lane, their lane, quote unquote. I hate that term. That's a popular phrase these days, for sure. Is it really? Yeah, it is. But unfortunately, others get into their different lane when people won't get in the lane that they're supposed to and do and and do the driving appropriately. Exactly. Like maybe if you were driving in your lane, I wouldn't be in it. (laughs) But because you're not, I'm in your lane. Wait, are we talking about about Deerfoot (laughs) Trail or Elbow Drive or Glenmore right now? I'm, I'm sorry. Or maybe for Jeremy, the the Coquihalla, <laughs> the, the Malahat. It's the Malahat. Oh, the Malahat. The Malahat. Jeremy, stay on the Malahat. <laughs> okay, okay, I guess. Okay. Well, as always, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to talk municipal politics, there's a lot of way that you can do so. There will possibly be a restart of Twitter spaces in September. Um, Follow Darren for for more on that. It is almost the end of summer. Slowly, summer is coming to an end. And that means that the one-year anniversary of uh, the last municipal election is coming up. So it's been a year since we've had our new mayor, our new council. And we're going to take a look at what that last year has looked like. And I, we want to hear from you. What do you think the last year has looked like? How would you rate the past council um, over this last year? Tweet us. You can tweet Darren at livewire underscore DK. You can get to Jeremy by tweeting him at JZ from Calgary, or you can let me know what you think at Esmahan YYC. Let us know what your thoughts are on, you know, the state of democracy lanes, carnivores pandas all that kind of stuff we're (laughs) we're here for it and plus that gets us off the hook too it really does (laughs) 
So thank you for joining us. Have a great rest of your summer.